Well, you know where we're going. Psalm, no, Proverbs. I fooled you. I just wanted to see if you're awake. Proverbs chapter 3. And you've already had lessons on um, 5, 6, and now we're going to go to 7 and 8. I'm just going to start at the beginning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. God uses all a lot, doesn't he? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Do not be wise in your own eyes. You ever heard of a wise guy? Well, to be perfectly honest, we're all wise in our own eyes, aren't we? We all think we know better. I know better than he does. A lot of ladies that have husbands, I know better than he does, right? We think we know better. And actually, what he's saying here is that is a hindrance to us trusting God. Because when I'm, I've got my eyes on myself, on me, you know, you got that little bird inside and it knows one song, me, 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 right? How is it that when you get a group picture, the first person you look for is who? I know. It's true, isn't it? You have to admit it. And now we take selfies all the time. You know, It's all about me. It's all about what I think. It's all about my opinion. And he's saying right here, don't be wise in your own eyes. You see, what hinders us from trusting God is trying to do it ourselves. I can do it. I can do it myself. I don't need anybody. I don't need God. I had a granddaughter. I have a granddaughter. And she was about, I think she was about two years old. And her mom tried to help her put her shirt on. And she said to her mom, no, mom, I can do it. She wouldn't take any help whatsoever ever from her mother. All of a sudden, she gets this shirt. She's got one arm sticking up, one arm down here. She could not get out of it. And she's wiggling and moving and trying to make it happen. Finally, she turned to me, not to her mama, and said, Grandma, help! Isn't that what we are? That pride, that self-centeredness. We don't want help. And many times, not only do we not want help from other people, we don't even want help from God. That self and that pride is involved when I am wise in my own eyes. I'm leaning to my own understanding. It goes back up to verse uh, 5b. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. That's the opposite, two sides of the coin. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. And then it says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Romans 12. Turn with me to Romans 12. Oh, I like to hear the rustle of those pages. So cool. Aren't we thankful we have the word of God in our hands that we actually can turn to that scripture? Romans 12, and I want you to look um, at, let me get there. Romans 12, look at, let's start with uh, verse 3. It says, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. 
but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You know, we can't take credit for anything, can we? No. It's God's grace. It's God's grace that brought me to himself. It's God's grace that enables me to do anything for his kingdom. It's all about him. It's his grace. It's his faith that he gives us. Isn't that an amazing thing that God gives us both the faith to believe and then the grace to live the Christian life? Apart from his faith and his grace, we couldn't be Christians. It's impossible. Then it goes on down, and and now I want you to go on down to verse 16 because he says it again. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. When you set your mind on high things, it's setting your mind on yourself. I want this. I want to do that. You know, it's an interesting thing. Nowadays, when girls get married, I was talking to some older ladies today, and we were remembering when we got married. And one girl said, yeah, I had a box for my table and I had a a desk for my dining room table. Didn't have much of anything. But now when girls get married, oh, I got to have all this furniture. Even if it's just from Ikea, I got to have furniture. You know, it's an amazing thing. We want all that, don't we? We want all that. But he's saying, don't set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. And then he says, do not be wise in your own opinion. Ooh, does that hit you below the belt? Listen, when I first got married, I had lots of opinions. And usually my opinions were not my husband's opinions. And we'd go at it. I'd say black, he'd say white. I'd say black, he'd say white. And I went to a lady one time. I said, I'm really concerned. We just can't get along. We just fight all the time. And she said, well, why do you fight with him? I said, because I'm right. (laughs) She said, That's your pride. I didn't want to hear that. But you know, she was right. It was my pride. I wanted to win. I wanted to show him I was just as good as he was, in my opinion, counted just as much as his. Aren't we all like that? I have my opinion. Well, what is he saying here? Do not be wise in your own opinion. Wise in my own eyes, wise in my own opinion is basically trusting in me it's not trusting in him because you see when we start depending on our own opinion and being wise in our own eyes then we start questioning what god does god this is not fair look at her she's got all this stuff she's not even serving you she's got all this stuff and and here i am i've been trying to serve you i've been trying to walk with you and i don't have anything what's the problem It's not me. It's you, God. Oh, can you imagine? It's a wonder he doesn't strike us with lightning. But be honest. Many times this is our opinion. Why? Why is it like this? Why am I going through this? I'll never forget. I used to live here in Pasadena. And when we went one time to visit uh, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, we, we weren't affiliated with Costa Mesa at that time. We went to visit Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And the funniest thing, my husband wore a three-piece suit on a Sunday night at Calvary Costa Mesa. He kind of stood out. And then when he talked, he talked funny too. Well, Pastor Chuck invited him to come talk to him the next week. And he went to talk to him. And Pastor Chuck said, Justin, I would like to ask you to be on my staff. Justin looked at him and said, 
Don't you have to ask the pulpit committee? Pastor Chuck said, I am the pulpit committee. <laughs> well, we, he came home and we prayed and we felt God was leading us to go to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And we put our house up for sale. This was in the middle of the summer. We put our house up for sale. And guess what? Somebody came and wanted to buy it. But they had a contingency. Ever heard of that? Don't get involved with it. That meant they had to sell their house before they could buy our house. And August came. And September. And October. And November. And December. And January. And our house had not, their house had not sold, so our house hasn't sold. And my husband was traveling to Costa Mesa every day to be there on staff. And I started saying, God, did you leave me here in Pasadena? Am I never going to go down there to Costa Mesa? And on Sunday morning, we'd pile in our van and drive down to Costa Mesa. And I'd have to be with three kids all morning while Justin was in the three services. And then we'd go look for a house. Oh, what a disappointing thing that was. Go to Orange County and try to find some place to live. It was so expensive. And this lady was helping us. Her name was Hope. And she wasn't about hope. (laughs) She was so discouraging. And she showed us these places that were pretty bad. And so one Sunday afternoon, I told Justin, I said, I just want to see a nice house for a change. I know we can't afford it, but I want to see a nice house. (laughs) So we went to this house that had a sign in the front, went and knocked on the door. And guess who came to the door? Hope. She said, why are you looking at this house? You can't afford it. I said, well, I just wanted to see a nice house for a change. And then when we left that house, we got in our car. And wouldn't you believe it? It wouldn't start. Justin had to get out and push it. And I'm popping the clutch and Hope's standing there staring at us. I was like, God, why don't you move me? You moved him already. Why don't you move me? I'm stuck in Pasadena. Pasadena is a great place to be. But not when you're supposed to be in Costa Mesa. It was a hard time. My own opinions. And I told God I was angry. Ooh, scary. And you know what he did? I took my Bible and I went, bam. And I kid you not. I looked down and the verse my eyes fell on says this. Anger resides in the bosom of fools. God called me a fool. Because you see, I was leaning to my own understanding. I was having my own opinion, thinking I knew better than God. Not only do we judge God, which is really scary, because does he know best? Is he quite a bit smarter than we are? Does he have a plan? I love that scripture in Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good and not for evil. To give you a future and give you hope. But you see, I was young in my walk with the Lord at that time. I didn't trust in the hope that God wanted to give me. That he was in control. He knew exactly what he was doing. And that's why he left me in Pasadena. Maybe you're in Pasadena saying, why? Why am I here? He knows what he's doing. Okay, not only do we judge him, but we judge others, don't we? Oh, yes. You see, sometimes we think we're a little superior. We think we know a little bit better. We think our opinions are above theirs. And that's a trap, especially when you're married. I know some of you girls aren't, but let me tell you. 
It's a real trap to think you know better than they do. In fact, sometimes I would get mad at my husband because he's starting to have a bit of a hearing problem. And I'll never forget one day I'm in bed. I have my devotions and I'm sitting there reading my Bible, very spiritual. (laughs) And all of a sudden I thought, I am so tired of him not hearing. I'm so tired of him asking me three times the same question. And not only that, he doesn't remember things anymore. I'll say, do you remember so-and-so? No. Do you remember that situation? No. Do you know who you are? No. And I'm sitting there just judging him. He's just messed up. I don't understand. I can hear. I can remember. Oh, mercy. Look who's in that sentence. I. And the first day that I was doing this, the Lord didn't get me. But the second day, I'm sitting there. Same song. Second verse. Why can't he hear? Why can't he remember? I have to do all this. I have to repeat things so many times. And then I yell and then he thinks I'm mad. What in the world? And just like that, the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, I could take your hearing just like that. I could take your ability to remember just like that. And I thought, oh, God, I'm going to get Alzheimer's. (laughs) He said, I have given you to be a helpmate to him. God humbled me that day. He, he, saw, he saw that stinking pride in my life. Have you ever seen a big old, big old fat sausage cooking in a pan? I was just oozing with grease, <laughs> the grease of pride. And don't we do that? You think you know better. And you teenagers, y'all think y'all know better than mama and daddy. Ooh. And then it's amazing when you become 25, mom and dad got so smart. I don't know what happened. We're all of that way of having our opinions. You see, God knows what he's doing in our lives. His timing is perfect. You know, you've ever heard the old saying, God's never late, seldom early, but always on time. Isn't that the truth? He's on time. He knows what he's doing. I want you to look up Philippians chapter 2. This is an admonition for us about not being wise in our own eyes. Philippians 2. And we'll start with verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing, nada, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. When I'm thinking I'm so smart, When I'm thinking my opinions are better than anybody else's, including God's, I'm not doing this. I'm in selfish ambition and conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So, 
that selfish ambition, that's setting our minds on things that are high, elevating self. Now, go back to Proverbs chapter 3 because he gives us the cure for the wise guy. And we're all wise guys. He gives us the cure in the second part of verse 7. He says this, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You see, when I put myself on that throne and I think I know it all, then I'm actually being evil. I'm actually pushing God away. I'm actually saying, I know better than he does. And that is the opposite of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord says, I have reverential awe for God. I want to love what he loves, and I want to hate what he hates. And he says that as we have the fear of the Lord in our hearts, that in itself is a cure for the meitis. And um, fear the Lord and depart from evil. Depart from the evil of being wise in my own eyes. Depart from my pride. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8. Just move over a little bit because it tells us what the fear of the Lord is, what it's all about. The fear of the Lord, verse 13, 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. God hates pride. God hates arrogance. Now, you might ask, what is pride? Pride is a conceited sense of one's superiority. I'm superior to that person. I'm superior to God. It's an elevated sense or conceited sense of one's superiority. I know best my opinions are more important than others or than God's. Arrogance is overbearing pride. It's kind of like he said, I, I hate pride and I hate more pride. I hate pride. Why does he hate pride? Because you see, when I'm trusting in me, I'm not trusting in him. I'm, so to speak, pushing him away, saying, I know better than God. You know that when I complain about my situation, about my life, about whatever, I'm actually saying, I know better than God. If God would just do it my way, everything would be great. And what a lie from the pit. Who knows best? He knows best. He knows what he's doing in our lives. Listen. God has no trivial plan. He's not seeking to make you comfortable, but to make you eternal. This life is but a vapor. It's passing. None of us know when we're going to go, do we? None of us know. And he's preparing us for future life. He's preparing us for eternity. That's what he's doing. In, in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, I mean 4, it says, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Ladies, what really matters is the things of eternal value. When you die, what are you going to take with you? Nada. Except 
your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what matters. That's what counts. Okay, so he hates pride. To love what God loves and hate what he hates. And he hates pride and he hates arrogance. In fact, in Proverbs 1-7, it says, fools. Well, let me go back over there. I want to read it to you. Uh, Start out the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, when I'm wise... I'm trusting God, and he's going to give me the wisdom I need in this life. He's going to give me instruction. But that, call, that necessitates humility. I can be very proud when my husband wants to tell me something I shouldn't do or I did. Are y'all like that? Hmm. I remember one time I wrote my checkbook, not the amount of the check. I wrote the check number where the amount was supposed to be. And he called it. And he says, I know when he calls me Janie, I'm in trouble. Because when he calls me mother, he's happy. He's nice. But when he says, Janie, I'm going, whoa, what did I do now? I go in there and he says, why did you do this? Why did you put the number of the check in the amount? Oh, well, uh, you know how you do. Well, I had 49 children behind me driving me crazy. What do you expect? You know, (laughs) we're like that. We don't want to receive instruction. We don't, over, don't want to receive discipline. And the Lord says that if we want to share his holiness, he's going to discipline us. He wants to instruct us. He wants to give us wisdom. But it, it must come as we die to ourself. Die to my way. You know how, you, how they say my way or the highway? Better die to my way. Okay, so he hates pride. He hates arrogance, that overbearing pride. Putting what I think I want and my way first. He hates that. Uh, James, turn with me to James chapter four, verses six through 10, James four, six through 10. Okay. Where are you? I know it was in my Bible yesterday. It's here. There it is. Okay. James four says this verse six. Oh, it's so awesome. He gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Isn't that a wonderful promise? He wants to give grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. And that's talking about over our sin. When God shows me the truth about me, we don't like to see it. But it's so necessary. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry for this attitude that I've had. I haven't been thankful. I've been wanting my way. I want to to turn around. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, Lord, change my heart. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And then it says God hates evil And the evil way. Evil is anything that will injure morally. It's sin. It's wickedness. It causes harm. It causes corruption. Hatred. Obscene. Vicious. Mean. Boy, we we understand what evil is all about, don't we? But you see, even in our hearts, we can hide it a lot of times from people, but we don't hide it from God. When you want to get back at that person, when you don't want to forgive when someone has hurt you, you know, 
one of the greatest uh, hurdles in my life as far as forgiveness was forgiving the man that murdered my daughter. Only by God's grace were were we able to do that. Only by God's grace. But he does give grace to forgive. He says that in Hebrews. So God hates evil and the evil way. And then the last one I just threw in there, he hates the perverse mouth. Now, sometimes you read that and say, well, I don't cuss. I don't have a perverse mouth. Ooh. Well, do you complain? Ooh, to God, that's perverse. What are you saying? I don't like the way you're doing things. I think I could do it better. The perverse mouth is the angry mouth, the demeaning mouth. Have you ever said to somebody, you'll never change? You're just the way you are and you'll always be that way. Or to say, you always do that. We don't all always do everything, do we? But a lot of times when we're mad, when we're angry, we throw that out. How about a deceitful or lying mouth? How about a gossiping mouth? Ooh. You know, it's interesting because we'll look at somebody else doing that and we'll say, oh, she's a bad person. And then we turn right around and do the same thing. Have you ever noticed that? You're pointing to somebody and you got all these fingers pointing back at you. Man, God gets you on that. He nails you. Okay, Psalm 34. Turn to that with me. Uh, Verse 8 through 22. Psalm 34, 8 through 22. I love Psalm 34. And it says this. It's the song we sang tonight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Ooh, don't you love that? He knows we like to eat. I bet y'all chowed down upstairs a few minutes ago. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. If we ate more of him, we'd do better. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And then he says in verse 9, because that's a part of trusting in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? And look what he starts talking about. Keep your tongue from evil, that perverse mouth, that evil, an evil way, and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Do you see what we read in Proverbs 8 in this chapter? I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. He talks about evil. He talks about the perverse mouth. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. That's someone who's saying no to my understanding, my reasoning, my thinking, my opinion, my wisdom, and saying yes to God. I want to know what you have to say, God. I don't want to go on what I think. The Lord's near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite heart spirit. I love that. I love this chapter. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And that's the remedy that he talks about in Proverbs 7. 
Job 28, 28 says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Proverbs 16, 6, By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. Maybe you're having a struggle in your life about something that really is evil for you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I sometimes struggle with Hallmark movies. I really like them. And I'll go to church on Sunday and I I just think, oh, I just want to go home and spend the whole afternoon with the Lord. And then I turn on TV and there's a Hallmark movie. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be anything bad, but potato chips, that's another one. I can't handle them. They talk to me. I hear voices from chips. You want me. Real bad. And you know what it is about chips? Over the lips and under the hips, you know? (laughs) Hey, I want to depart from evil. So, it says, By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. Proverbs 14, 27, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Proverbs twenty six twelve. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. <whistles> These verses are really hitting us between the eyes, aren't they? Wow, I didn't know there were so many, and there are many more. Isaiah five twenty one. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Wow. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. This is verse 8. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. This is the outcome of fearing the Lord. As we fear him, he enables us to trust him. We were just singing a song tonight, Oh, for grace to trust him more. You see, as I fear him, as I keep my eyes on him, as I look to him, he imparts grace to me to enable me to walk away from evil, to enable me to do what I should do. I love the fact that we can trust him no matter what's coming in our lives. Turn with me to Psalm 37. That's one of my most favorite psalms, Psalm 37. And it's interesting because it starts out with a guy that's wise in his own eyes. He's got his opinion here. And he goes, and God's telling him, he's looking over at all these evildoers and he's saying, hey, what's the deal here? They're doing well and I'm trying to follow you and it's not going so good for me. What's the problem, God? Woo-hoo. Do not fret because of evildoers nor be envious. Ooh, have you ever had that green-eyed monster jump on you? Envy can do you in, right? Oh my goodness, it is so quick that we fall into that trap. Be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. We might look over and say, oh, the grass is so much greener over there. That's a lie. If you go walk over there, it's more brown than your grass. You see, we look at somebody and we envy what they have or who they are. And God says, would you just be content with what I've given you? Because I know what's best for you. I had one child that loved sugar. I mean, loved sugar. And she wanted sugar above anything else. Now, I could have said, go for it. You're going to end up with cavities. 
Go for it. No, I didn't say that. I was a mean mother. No, honey, you're going to eat these other things that are good for you, strong food for your body, not sugar. Now she's a a grown woman and she eats a lot of sugar. No, no. But you see, I loved her. I wanted what was best for her. And you know, God's that way with us. He loves us. He wants what's best for us. And sometimes he'll put us in these crunch situations where we are forced to trust. He kind of puts us in a corner. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to lean to your own understanding? Or are you going to acknowledge me? Listen, it's a good thing because he's teaching us that we legitimately can trust in him. You know what? When I left Pasadena and moved to Costa Mesa, I looked back on those times as times when I began to partake of God's faithfulness that for real, I could trust him. Even when it was hard, when it was difficult, when I couldn't see my hand in front of my face, I didn't know what the future held, but God did. And he was in control. And I'll tell you, those are the things that ministered to me down the road when I would get in a difficult situation. How many of you have ever been in a difficult situation? Some of us want to raise feet and arms, right? You're going to be there. But it's God's tool. It's God's tool to show us his faithfulness. My daughter moved to Belgium. She and her husband are missionaries in Belgium. She moved to Belgium, and when they got there, when their stuff, they were living in England, and when their stuff arrived in Belgium, their bed was covered in mold. I mean covered. She called me crying, Mama, our bed has mold. We had to throw the mattress away. We couldn't sleep on that mold. And all we have now is a couch and a, a little single bed mattress. I said, oh, baby, I'm so sorry. I went to the Lord. Lord, give me money so I can help her. And the Lord said, I've given her this need. Huh? I've given her this need because I'm going to show her that she can trust me. See, we always want to run to mama. We always want to run to somebody to bail us out, right? And God says, no, no, no. Will you trust me? Will you look to me? Will you keep your eyes on me? Because I'm a faithful God. I can do it seedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything you can imagine. Well, several months, they didn't have a bed. She said the couch was so uncomfortable, she finally moved on to the single mattress with her husband. I thought, praise God, it was them. I wouldn't have fit. (laughs) But one day, she called me. Out of the blue, somebody sent them money, and they were able to buy a mattress. And she called me. She said, Mom, we have a bed. It's wonderful. I never heard her say those things about beds at my house. Never, (laughs) never, never. She was so elated. She was so excited. She knew it was God. Because you see, God over here a few years ago knew that right now she was going to be in another trial. Because she and her husband have been offered a position at a Calvary Chapel here in the States. But he's from Belgium. He had to get his visa. It's been a a year's worth of sending papers and paying money and on and on and on. It's such a rigmarole. I told him he should just put a little makeup on his face and come over the border, but he didn't, he didn't do it. But anyway, now they're in a different kind of trial and it's a little more intense and they have two little children and how is this going to work and how is that going to work? And it's so expensive to send something back and it's so expensive to come back and we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know if they're going to say, okay, we're going to, 
fact, they meet next Tuesday. Y'all can pray. On Tuesday the 21st at 5 o'clock in the morning, you have to get up really early and pray for him because that's when he meets with the embassy, and they'll say, yes, you can go, or no, you can't. And then I don't know what we're going to do after that. But God has prepared them back there. We don't see it. We don't know what he's doing. But, ladies, he's so faithful. He has a plan. And he's saying, will you trust me? And then he says in verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Trust and obey. We sing that song. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Dwell in the land. Dwell in the land of his promises. Dwell in the land of his faithfulness in the past. When you're fearful, when you're facing a new trial, go back and say, oh, God, I remember. I remember when you got me out of Pasadena. I remember. You see, I faced a lot of trials after that. But because of what I learned here, God prepared me for the next trial. That's what the awesome thing about trusting God is. His ability to be faithful doesn't run out. I love that hymn, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Isn't that the truth? That comes from Lamentations chapter 3. He's a faithful God. And that's what we learn. These little baby steps of trusting. We see his faithfulness. So you dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. We can feed on a lot of things, baby. You can feed on fear and it will eat you up. You can feed on doubt. You can feed on anxiety. Man. That doesn't give strength to your bones, does it? Health to your body. It can tear you up. You can feed on anger. You can feed on unforgiveness. All of those things will do us in. I'll never forget a lady in our church when we pastored in South Louisiana. And her daughter wanted to marry this young man. The young man loved the the Lord. I was so, I I didn't understand why this lady did not like this future son-in-law. In fact, she disdained him so much. She said, if you marry him, I wish you would go to hell. This is what she said. I couldn't believe she said this to her daughter. And her daughter did marry him. But the next time I saw that lady, she actually was not in our church. She was in another church. But when I saw her, she had dark circles under her eyes because she had allowed that anger, that bitterness, that hatred to build in her heart. And she got cancer. And soon she died. Listen, instead of saying, you know what? I might not like him, but I'm going to trust the Lord. We, we can go to God in any situation and say, Lord, I choose to trust you. I choose not to lean to how I feel, my opinion, but I choose to trust you. Dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. That is a sneaky verse. If you delight in him, he changes your desires. See, he can, he can say that. This is like a guarantee, money back guarantee. If you delight in me, I'll give you the desires of your heart because they'll be changed. Isn't that awesome? But he knows what's best for us, doesn't he? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. 
He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. All these things are involved in trusting the Lord. When we obey, we dwell, we feed, we delight, we commit, we trust. And verse 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. We see the opposite of trust is fretting. I choose to trust. I choose to rest. You may have things in your life right now that you can't control and you fear what might happen. Have you ever lived in the what ifs? Yeah, what if this happens or what if that happens? Our little brains can go crazy with all the what ifs. That's leaning to my own understanding. Instead of saying, God, I'm going to trust you with the what ifs. I'm going to trust you with the future. Because you have a plan, because you love me, because you're able to do amazing things. My daughter called me today and, oh, mom, what about this and what about that and what about, I said, Abby, what about God's faithfulness in the past? I remember when I first went there to be with her, she had all these needs. I mean, she had legitimate needs. And I said, I want you to write them all on a piece of paper, everything you need, because she didn't have much. She wrote them all down. The next year I came to visit her and and she said, Mama, you know what? God answered every one of those needs in his time. Because we want it yesterday, don't we? In his time. But see, it's more than him doing it for you. It's you learning to trust, learning to rest, learning to lean not to your own understanding. So we have good emotional results when we trust in God. Psalm 37, verse 9, those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. And then verse 11 says, the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. How many of you want peace? You know what doesn't come by holding your fingers up? Peace, peace. It comes from trusting in God. And he gives you that peace that passes all understanding. Because it's not something we can do for ourselves. It's something that he wants to do for us. He wants us to rest. And that rest comes as we learn to trust. Trust in him. The meek shall inherit the earth. The meek person is emptied of self, emptied of my opinion, empty of what I think is wisdom. In uh, Matthew 5, 5, the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's basically saying, God, I recognize I'm nothing. I have nothing. I can do nothing apart from you. That's the greatest lesson we can learn. Apart from you, I need you. I can't do it on my own. Like my little grandchild, I'll take your help, God. I want that shirt to go on without covering my head. And he's ready to give it. Humble in spirit, not arrogant or proud, willing to be taught, to be led, to be directed. 
And that's where that trust comes. In closing, Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this, and this is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Maybe you came here tonight and you've been laboring over situations in your life, fears in your life, what if in your life. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am meek. I'm not leaning to my own understanding. I'm not thinking I know best. And he says, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I want to say to you tonight, if you're carrying those burdens... Leave them here tonight. Give them to Jesus. Don't go in your own way and your own thinking, but trust in him. And he says it's going to be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you and praise you for your word and the comfort and the hope that we find in your word. Lord, give us the faith to trust. Give us the faith to not lean to our own thinking, our own opinions, but, Lord, in all our ways to trust in you. Lord, we thank you for the promises of your word. We thank you for the instruction of your Holy Spirit. Lord, teach us to fear you. Teach us to trust you. And we thank you and praise you already for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.